Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Last week, in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we reached the hisar, the issue of hisar of Quraysh, the blockade of Quraysh against Banu Abdul Muttalib and Banu Hashim due to their support of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Muslims. And this hisar, this blockade of the Quraysh against Banu Abdul Muttalib and Banu Hashim lasted for how long? Barakallah It lasted for three years. And this hisar was a hisar that was a blockade or sanctioning a siege on the Muslims. And, yeah, Ibn Sulaiman, was it only on the Muslims? Barakallah Against the two tribes. The Muslims of them and the Mushrikeen from amongst them as well. And also we looked at a year in which the ulama have named Amul Huzan, the year of sadness of the Prophet A year after the Hisar, after the blockade, it was a year, six months after the blockade, it was a year in which two calamities befell the Prophet And these two great calamities were the death of Abu Talib, and the death of Khadija radiallahu anha. And we say calamities because death is a calamity. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِذَا أَصَابَتْكُمْ مُصِيبَةُ الْمَوْتِ And when you're overtaken by the calamity of death. But death is enough of a calamity. But what is greater as a calamity upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was great upon him was the way in which Abu Talib, he died. And that calamity is Abu Talib, he passed away as a mushrik. Despite the fact that the Prophet was saying to him, say la ilaha But in his presence was who? Abu Jahal and what else? Another mushrik. Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah was saying to him, Are you going to deviate from the millah of Abdul Muttalib? So he died as a mushrik. And Abbas, he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after that, saying to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ma aghnayta an ammi, what could you do for your uncle? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that wa fi dhahdahin min al-nar. That Abu Talib is in fire which is up to his ankles. And this fire is so severe in heat, it will cause his brain to boil. That's the most that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam could do for his uncle Abu Talib. So this was year was known as Amul Huzan, a year of sadness for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So as we're saying, in this year of Amul Huzan of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the calamity of the death of Abu Talib was also calamity because it was the one that defended the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He brought the two tribes, Banu Hashim and Banu Abdul Muttalib, to defend the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That after his death, the Mushrikeen, they saw other ways. They saw a weakness to persecute and directly try to attack the Prophet Even though Hamza and Umar Khattab, they were there. So in this environment of hostility, at this time of silence, the Prophet he decided he's going to leave Mecca and go to Ta'if. Maybe he'll find somebody that will lend ear to his da'wah. Maybe he'll find a heart that understands his call. And the Prophet ﷺ went to Ta'if to seek a land which is fertile for da'wah. So he left Mecca and went to Ta'if. And when the Prophet ﷺ, he went to Ta'if, he went with Zayd ibn Haritha. And who's Zayd ibn Haritha? 
the free slave of the Prophet and also who? The adopted, when it was permissible, adopted son of the Prophet And so he went to Ta'if. Now he went from Mecca to Ta'if, subhanAllah. And when I used to live in Jeddah, I always wanted to go to Ta'if. And not for any religious or particular sunnah reason, because not sunnah or religious reason to go to Ta'if, just to experience it. And I said that day, me and my family are going to go to Ta'if and we're going to go to Mecca afterwards. We're going to go to Haram. Ta'if, Mecca. Not knowing the distance between, the, between Ta'if and Mecca is very far, even by road, by car. So when I went on it, subhanAllah, the more I appreciated the effort of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The way that you go walking or you go on a camel, how difficult that journey is. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went all the way to Ta'if for this da'wah. Even for those who are going to Hajj and Umrah, when you think Mecca, Medina, you think it's a quick journey. It's at least four and a half hour by road. With drivers sometimes that drive a breakneck speed, suicidal speed. At least four hours between Mecca and Medina. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to Ta'if. And he spent in Ta'if, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ten days. Going from one leader to another leader. One noble aristocrat to another aristocrat. And the Prophet وسلم, in these 10 days met rejection and mockery. The best tribe was Banu Ali. And this tribe, they just kept quiet. They didn't reject what he came with, they didn't mock it, nor did they accept it. After 10 days, the Prophet decided to leave Ta'if. Decided to leave Ta'if. And upon the departure of the Prophet, the leaders of Ta'if. They decided to set upon the Prophet the hooligans of the town, the ignorant, the foolish one, the slaves and the children. That this is such a lowly thing, this person is so insignificant to us, we send the children after him, the slaves and also the hooligans of the town, upon the Prophet to attack him. So as he was leaving Ta'if after 10 days, they stood in two rows. And the Prophet passed through the middle of them. And they started to attack the Prophet with stones. Zayd ibn Haritha, it was like a bullet catcher for the Prophet. He did everything which he could do to protect the Prophet and threw himself in the directions of the stones. But so severe was their attack that it could not protect the Prophet completely. That they stoned him till he was drenched in his own blood. It was said that the shoe of the Prophet was filled with his blood. This is how severe this beating was and the stoning of the Prophet. The Prophet continued to live Ta'if in this situation, physically, mentally harmed, until he realized the extent of his injury. Because initially, when somebody hits you or stabs you or shoots you, you don't realize it initially. When he realized the extent of his injury, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he decided to rest by her wall, under a tree, in a wall. And this wall was a garden. And he rested under this tree, which in a garden that belonged to Utbah ibn Rabi'ah and Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, two people of Ta'if. And he rested under this tree, the shade of this tree. And it was a, it was a great tree. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah wa Shayba happened to be there when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was resting. And they saw him. And pity overtook them and sympathy overtook them for the Prophet And they looked at him drenched and soaked in his own blood. So they sent their servant, Adas, 
their slave to serve the Prophet ﷺ a bowl of grapes. So Adas, he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he gave him the plate of grapes. The Prophet ﷺ, before putting the grape in his mouth, he said, Bismillah. Adas was shocked. He said, Ahlu hadihi al-bilad la ya'rifu ma taquluhu. The people of these lands, they don't speak like this. They don't know what you're saying. At this point, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked him, Min aina anta? Wa ma dinuk? Where are you from? If the people of the land don't say this. And what is your religion? Adas, he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Ana min naynawa wa ana nasrani. He said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I'm from naynawa and I'm a Christian. The Prophet said, You are from the land. Nabi As-Salih, the righteous Prophet, Yunus ibn Matta, the land of Yunus. He was shocked because the Arabs are not people of the book. So he said to the Prophet, How do you know about Yunus? The Prophet said, He was a prophet and I'm a prophet. And then he read some of the Qur'an to Adas. Now, since this lesson of Sirah is supposed to be about Durus or Ibar, lessons and things he's who could take, I want us to pause here upon two great benefits from this just small incident with the Prophet and Adas. The first benefit is that we mentioned earlier on, the importance of adab, etiquette and mannerism. Because it was this etiquette, this simple etiquette and mannerism of saying Bismillah that drew the attention of who? Adas to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the importance of etiquette. If you want to call to Allah subhanahu wa taala, your etiquette and your manners is very important. It draws people's attention. Look at Yusuf alayhi salam when he was in the prison, and the two prisoners were seeking interpretation of their dreams. They could have asked anybody in the prison, but they went to Yusuf alayhi salam, and this was an opportunity for him now to give da'wah go to tawheed. They went to him, and why did they go to him? They said, Inna naraka min al-muhsineen. We see you as a doer of good because of his etiquette. And now you have many people that accept Islam in prison due to the etiquette of the Muslims in the prison. So this shows the importance of etiquette. And the etiquette which the Prophet وسلم, he taught here was the etiquette of saying Bismillah before you eat. And this is especially important for our young children. Because the way this etiquette came about was a young person in the time of the Prophet Amr ibn Salama, he came to the gathering of the Sahaba, as young children do, and he was putting his hand there everywhere. So the Prophet said, Ya Ghulam, O young boy, Samillah. But the way he told him was with gentleness, love, and compassion. So not only did the Prophet teach that young man or young boy the etiquettes of eating, he also taught those who do tarbiyah, education, cultivation, nurturing, the way to do tarbiyah, the way to cultivate and to educate. That he said to him gently and softly and nicely. Because you find many of us as fathers want to be on the sunnah. Our children come to a gathering, he does less than that. Breaks a plate, breaks a cup, which is less than not saying bismillah. Or doesn't say bismillah. You find we may rebuke him very harshly. Very harshly. But of course some didn't do this because he's a child. Because in terms of raising children, there's stages, three stages. The first stage before it reaches the age of childhood, as an infant, it's just pure love, playing. When it reaches childhood, children learn through playing. 
And all these things you find in the Sunnah that people have developed Montessori learning system, that they learn through play playing. You play with them, but at the same time, you start to inject some tarbiyah, correction in them. When they reach adulthood now, 16, 15, or 16, 17, you can't force them. You have to be like a friend to them. So at this stage, you find parents sometimes they're very harsh. He's a child. And they may go as far as hitting that child. They might go as far as that. In some cases, the parents may not go as far as that and they may do their best to correct their child. But the problem sometimes is not the parents. The problem is the onlookers. Because the parent now, it feels very uncomfortable and shy and embarrassed because other people are looking at him like this. And he feels compelled, even though he's doing his best. Look, son, please say Bismillah. People are just looking at him like this. So now he feels compelled to do something worse. So we as onlookers, when we see such things, it's either you look away, if you can't do anything, or you make the situation light by making it into a joke. Create a joke, but don't make it worse. Do not make it worse. Because if you love your brother what you're for yourself, you want your brother to raise his child properly. Because our children, people that do this, is as though their children are infallible. They're angels, their children. And sometimes the children are not angels themselves. They look at the person like this. It reminds me of when we were younger as children in Nigeria that your parents may be punishing you. And that punishment sometimes is a beating. And the doorbell rings and he said, Alhamdulillah, Uncle such and such has come to your rescue. And he comes in. Not only does he come in and your mother's beating you and saying, you see what this, you see what this but you'll be like, beat him, beat him more. You even encourage her to, even though now she's feeling, you know, like sometimes you want to fight. And you're like, hold me back, hold me back, because you don't really want to fight. So she's complaining that this, I'm going to do this, hoping you'll say stop. He's like, do more. Do more. It's a serious issue. So the Prophet sallallahu he taught this young man the etiquette of bismillah. He said to him, say bismillah. Kul bi yameenik, eat with your right hand. We need to teach our children these etiquettes. Especially now that even amongst the Arabs in the Middle East, they have something called etiquette al-alameen. Etiquette and alami. Etiquette from the French word etiquette. Universal etiquette. That you find when you go to restaurants, they will eat with a fork and knife, and there's nothing wrong with eating fork and knife. But the fork is in the left hand, the knife is in the right hand. And you say, no, brother, swap it around. They say, La ya akhi, had etiquette alami. This is international etiquette. This is how you're supposed to eat with a fork or knife. Etiquette alami, that'll take you to Jahim and make you follow shaitan. No, teach them to eat with their right hand and never to be ashamed of this. Also the Prophet said, eat from that which is near to you. That to teach them on the plate, on the bowl, because usually people eat from one plate. We should eat from one plate because more barakah. But the reality of the time we're living in now as families, people eat from different plates. In that case, if the plate is far from you, you could reach out and grab the plate to put something on this bowl. But if he's eating from one plate, if you want some meat over there, you could tell the person next to him, please pass this on. So the first lesson we get from this is the importance of adab in calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second fa'idah is the hirs. Before moving on to that, concerning this etiquette, some people might look at it as just something small, eat with your right hand. If a person rejects it out of mockery, like the one that said etiquette al-alami, as a man did in the time of the Prophet he said, La I can't eat with my right hand. The Prophet said, you'll never be able to do so. And this man, he became paralyzed in his hand. He could never raise his hands after that. And so many people that make mockery of the sunnah, you have to be very careful making mockery. Things have happened to them due to their mockery. 
Like the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If one of you wakes up from his sleep, if you wash his hand, thalathan, before you touch anything, put your hand in a bowl of food. When you get up from your sleep at night, wash your hand three times. Because he doesn't know, yaduhu. he doesn't know where his hand rested. And this impurity is not necessarily a physical impurity, but a spiritual one, because the shaitan touches the hand of a person. So a person said, this is after Prophet in the time of the Salaf, a person said, I know where my hand was, on my bed, out of mockery, and he became paralyzed in his hand after that. Some people make fun of the miswak. There's a man that made fun of the miswak. And he went to the extent of putting the miswak, not in his mouth, in an appropriate part of his body. And he bled from that part till he died. Because of mockery of the sunnah. See, these etiquettes are very important. So the second thing, fa'ida, we get from this, is the hirs, the eagerness of the Prophet sallallahu when it comes according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Muslim is a person that calls to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all times. In health, in sickness. In ease, in hardship. So here, you're bleeding, you've been stoned by these people, you're you may feel demotivated, but yet the Prophet sallallahu he still used this opportunity of difficulty to call to Allah. And used the question of Abbas as an opportunity to call him to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And such were the Anbiya, even in times of difficulty. Yusuf alayhi salam, he was in prison and he was calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they came to him to say to him, interpret the dream for us. It began with what? Interpretation of the dream? La. It began with Tawheed. He used the opportunity of interpreting a dream to begin with Tawheed. Then he interpreted the dream afterwards. So when they asked him to interpret the dream for them, what did Yusuf begin with? He said, Ya Sahibay Asijin. My two companions in this prison. Is it better to have multiple laws? Oh Allah Ta'ala alone. So it began with Tawheed. So a Muslim is always beneficial, wherever he is. Use any opportunity, even if it's a bad one, or any uh, situation, it's opportunity to call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he took rest in this garden. And so magnificent was the issue of this adab, an opportunity of da'wah, that some of the ulama, they said, Adas, he accepted Islam, this Nasrani. He left and he continued. And before the Prophet knew it, he'd read Wadi As-Sayl. Wadi As-Sayl is the point of Miqat. If you're coming from Riyadh, for example, or where they call Najd, before you enter Makkah, this is your Miqat, if you're going for Umrah. So reach Wadi As-Sayl. And upon reaching Wadi As-Sayl, the Prophet saw it appeared above him was a great cloud. It became cloudy and a great shadow above the Prophet and when the Prophet ﷺ looked up, this great shadow or this great cloud was Jibreel salam. And Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, هذا ملك الجبال. This is the this is the angel of the mountain. Murhu bimashit. Order him with anything you want. If the Prophet ﷺ was a person that called to himself, at this moment. He will, have said, he will have said to the angels of the mountain, shake the earth from beneath their feet and turn them all upside down. But the Prophet ﷺ did not call to himself. And likewise, the Sahaba who he cultivated did not call to themselves. So if you look at Ali, عنه, 
was cultivated, educated by the Prophet in one of the battles, a person spat in his face. And Ali could have taken his head off. And he stopped and he paused. Why did he stop and he paused? Because he realized he's doing this for his what? His nafs, not for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet وسلم, came, kept quiet. Then the angel spoke. It's if you want, I could cause the Akhshabain, because Mecca has two famous uh, mountains. He said, I could cause the two mountains, Abu Qubais is one of them, and the other one to come down upon them and crush them and grind them to completely. If you wish. The Prophet said, maybe Allah. And it's a dua. Those that worship Allah and don't associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And look at this dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Indeed, Allah ta'ala took out from the offsprings of who? Ahlu Ta'if. Because when people mention this story, they say this Ta'if. No, this was in Mecca. Because it was word it was saying. He said, maybe Allah would take from their offspring or bring from their offspring. Those who worship Allah, don't associate partners with Him. And from that came the reality that Allah Ta'ala took from their offsprings, the worst of them, those who worship Allah, they associate partners with him, and from amongst them came the greatest commanders that caused the greatest conquest and victories for Islam. So from the offsprings of the worst of them, and who's the worst of the mushrikeen? Who is Fir'aun in this ummah? Ya Luqman, Mali Araka Na'iman. Huh? Who's the, who's the Fir'aun of this Ummah? I mentioned it many times, even last week. The Fir'aun, yes, of this Ummah. In the Prophet's time. Or this Ummah. Barak, huh? Abu Jahal. Barakallahu feek. Abu Jahal. From the Fir'aun of this Ummah came Ikrimah. Radiallahu an wa la'natullahi ala al-ab. Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahal. Ikrimah was the son of Abu Jahl, and he brought for Muslims in Islam many conquests. And Ikrimah, he died shaheedan, he died as a martyr in the battle of Yarmouk. From the offspring of the Mushrikeen was the son of As ibn Wa'il, was Amr ibn Al-As. So the son of As ibn Wa'il, Amr ibn Al-As. And from his offspring, his grandchildren came Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, one of the greatest scholars, and Ubad. From the worst of them, the richest of them, the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the ayah down for, Dharni wa man khalaqtu wahida. Leave me alone with the one I created, alone. Leave me with him, I'll deal with him. I gave him much wealth and children. And who was this, ya akhi? Walid ibn Mughira, from the worst of the Mushrikeen, came Abu Sulaiman. Yeah, Sheikh Sulaiman. Who's Abu Sulaiman? So far, we've been dropping clues and clangers. There's a brother here, actually. Akhul uh, Amas. Yes. Aywa. Uthman. I owe him a present. But now we're going to do a double presentation of presents. Yes? Habib always asks me many questions. So I'm going to ask Habib a question today. Yeah, Habib, who's Abu Sulaiman? And we've been dropping clues everywhere. If you notice, there's a pattern that we've been dropping all the time. There's a pattern, a pattern. Pick up on the pattern. Yeah, Habib. Who is it? I just want to know the answer. Who is it? 
No, you don't have to know that. We've been dropping it all the time. No excuse. <laughs> MashaAllah. You're good. You're good. If it wasn't to be a stereotypical or generic statement, or what sometimes people call a racist statement to make, I'll have made the statement. That was a good one. I just came in. Because sometimes, subhanAllah, people make this uh, generic sweeping statements, which sometimes is stereotyping a people and could be considered to be racist. Yes? But they said Nigerians are very good at getting our questions. You know? The long pause, mm, is thinking of what to say. I remember, subhanAllah, one time I was doing security. And uh, you're not allowed to see sleep on a security job at all. So they used to have mobile patrols that used to go around checking if you're sleeping. And those two guards, a Muslim brother Khan and another Nigerian guy, on guard that night. And Nigerian guy every night would sleep. Every night. So the security patrol, mobile patrol, came around. But Khan was on patrol. So by the time he came back from patrol, the mobile patrol had entered the building. The guy was gone completely like this. And Khan was coming down the stairs. So he tried to warn him. But the guy said, shh, the supervisor, don't say anything. He opened the door, walked all the way to the guard that had been sleeping. And the guard was and he sat in front of him. If it was me, I'd have woke up like this. Oh, he didn't wake up like this. He was like this. I see you. <laughs> you know I've been seeing you for a long time. I saw you. I saw you. So he didn't catch him in the act. Anyway, yes and man. We said Abu Jahl was Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl. As ibn Wa'il, Amr ibn As, Walid ibn Mughira, Khalid ibn Walid was the son of who? Walid ibn Mughira. Barakalafiq. Naam. This was the patterns we were, the patterns we were dropping. Naam. Abu Sulaiman. The only one. Naam. Abu Sulaiman. He's the only Sahabi that's called Abu Sulaiman. Khalid ibn Walid, radiallahu ta'ala an. Came from Walid ibn Mughira. After this, subhanAllah, to show indeed with after hardship comes ease. But another ease came after that. After Prophet left Wadi Usay, he reached Wadi and Nakhil. He reached Wadi and Nakhil in Makkah. And Prophet was praying Salah. And Salah in those days before Isra Mi'raj was too, before Fajr and before Maghrib. Fajr and Maghrib. And as he was praying, something magnificent happened. That you're going to call people in Ta'if to da'wah. And they didn't accept but another set of not people, another set of creation is going to accept Islam. Because before the advent of the Prophet, the jinn, they used to go to the heavens to seek news from the heavens and to bring it to the Quran, the fortune tellers and the magicians. Because these magicians or people, these fortune tellers that claim to know the future, they're working with jinn. Even the ones that came to Muslim Mushrikin Kufar that take news from these jinn. So the jinn, what they'll do, they'll climb one on top of the other in the same way the ants do, till they reach the heavens. And they'll steal news from the heavens and they'll pass it down to the one after them, to the one after till he reaches where? The dunya. Until he reaches the sahir or the kahim. But by that time, it's mixed with a hundred lies. It's mixed with a hundred lies. So they used to do this. But at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they themselves said, فَمَنْ يَسْتَعْمِي Shihab and Rasada. Allah used to send after them meteors and flying stars, shooting stars to destroy them. So they couldn't do it anymore. 
They used to try Hot flaming star chasing them and killing them So they realized something had changed So the jinn, they gathered and had a meeting That we could not do what we used to do before Something must have changed So the leaders of the jinn He told the tribes of the jinn To go out on the earth to seek news of a change What has happened? So whilst traveling the land, the jinn They came across the Prophet ﷺ Praying Fajr and they heard the Qur'an and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this incident in the Qur'an that that when we directed a group of the jinn to youth and they heard or listened to the Qur'an subhanallah when they heard the Qur'an these are the jinn at this time not Muslims saying to one another pay attention and listen attentively and we Subhanahu Malihi Quddus were reciting the Quran and people are raising their voice about the Quran. And these are jinn, they were not even Muslims. One of the first things in this gathering we used to have in Nigeria, they call it Asalatu. I didn't even know the meaning then of what this thing meant. They would say in the Nigerian accent, I'll see if you could guess it. Asitu, Asitu Lillah. I said, What is this Asitu Lillah? But they take this from Quran, Ansitu, pay attention for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And know a brother, you know how congested Hajj is and the, the confusion and the chaos. He said one of the most difficult hujjah to control with the Nigerians. But he said, somebody taught him one thing to say. He said, as soon as Ansitu lillah, all the Nigerians they keep quiet. So he said, they said to each other, keep quiet, pay attention. And when it was concluded, they went back as Muslims and mourners to their people and started to call the jinns to Islam. So in Wadi and Nakhal, this is the first time that the jinn, they heard the Quran. So this is a victory that you're going to call the people, but Allah Ta'ala brought the jinn to Al-Islam. Subhanallah. So the Prophet ﷺ stayed in Wadi and Nakhal and he moved on from there to enter Mecca. But now you're going to talk, if you come back, you're not going to enter Mecca so easily. So he sought an ijar, something we spoke about before. Protection from the different people in Mecca, the nobles of Mecca. Everybody rejected, except for Mut'im ibn Adi. And this time he wasn't a Muslim, he was a mushrik. He decided to give ijara and he announced, Inni jarun di Muhammad. I'm a protector of Muhammad, he's under me. But when he gave this protection to the Prophet he called all of his children, all of his cousins, to go and collect the Prophet Musallaheen armed to the teeth and he said don't only be harmed to the teeth put him in the middle of you you surround him and when the prophet sallallahu entered mecca the first thing he did was tawaf but in this tawaf the whole of bani adi the son of mut'im and his cousin they surrounded the prophet sallam and stood in guard subhanallah even this mushrik they never brought their the treaties but another etiquette we learn from this is the sunnah of when you enter your hometown or your place of residence or after a journey. Many of us, we just go straight out of reach, alhamdulillah, and coming home. I should be home in 15 minutes. No. The first thing you're supposed to do, go to a masjid, pray to raka'ah. It's a sunnah mahjura, abandoned sunnah. Alhamdulillah, in Qatar, it's many masajid. Even if it's outside the masjid, they have a prayer mat outside there. You could just let yourself pray and go home. Always pray to raka'ah before you go home upon entering your place of residence. Now after this, in the context of this surah, al-duha, it came down. In this am al-huzm, after these incidences, 
I'm going to go through Surah Al-Duha next week. There's some other instances that happen, but we've been, it's been an extend, extended dars today, you know. And I apologize to any of the sisters or the brothers with their wives up there that might knock me out afterwards. That, um, <laughs> for the, what you might interpret to be harsh, but it's, wallahi, it's very unbecoming. The situation in the masjid, very, very unbecoming. And if it's from children, it may be acceptable, so long as the parents are doing their best to control that child. So long as they're doing their best, do not be harsh on parents. Because some sisters, especially those from non-Muslim family, the only time they get to socially interact with anybody is on this day on Friday. And they don't have Muslim families. And uh, some people have situation with their children. If you see a mother is trying her best with a child, you leave the child. The child could have issues, ADHD, you know, attention deficiency, hyperactive disorder, mental issues that you are not aware of. So it's better to make excuses. The child could be autistic, for example. Just make excuses and leave them. But adults, they shouldn't have such behaviors. Subhanakallah, bihamdika, shalwan, da'ilah, and stuff. Any questions, inshallah?